Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Thanks for joining us. And while you're seated, if you'd grab your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to be, whether you're looking in a print or a digital form today. So glad that you're here. And I hope that no one is out looking for you the way they did yesterday for Scooby the Camel. Did anybody see this? Did you see this in the news? That in Springfield Township, there's a guy who owns a camel, and somehow, while he was out of, out of the, the county, it said, the camel got loose, and for about 90 minutes, took a little journey down Door Street. Did anybody actually see this? This camel was, you saw the camel? That's crazy. This is out and about. The Scooby was there. Eventually, like somebody called, the sheriff came out, helped corral Scooby. The owner showed up. Here, here they are, kind of taking their trip back home. It's like a nativity story gone bad, isn't it? And... Uh, <laughs> This is crazy. And if you're driving down Door Street, right, it's always fun when Toledo makes the national news and it's, and it's a good thing, right? I mean, it's just, who else had a camel out and about yesterday? Just us. Take that. Everybody else, you will do better in Toledo. So there's this, but there's these moments, like if you're driving down Door Street and you see a camel, what do you say to yourself? Just another day in Toledo? No. No, you're like, how did that happen? This is moment. People are like taking pictures and posting it on Twitter, all kinds of stuff, because there's these moments where you go, this doesn't just happen. Like there's these times in life where we look at situations and say, okay, that's unique, that's different. A camel going down Door Street, that's a unique moment, right? We have in the spiritual world what we refer to as divine appointments. There are these moments that we look at and we say, that's, that's not natural. Like, that doesn't just happen. Those things take place only for one reason, because God lined that up. God set that up. God made that happen. And we refer to those times in our lives as divine appointments. These times when you just look at something and you know God's in that. And if you've never had one of these, it's, it's one of the most exhilarating experiences that you can have when you can look back on something and go, okay, God was in that moment. God, God set that up. And I really do believe that that's something that God has for every one of us. I, I kind of have the commitment that, that we miss them probably more often than we find them because we fail to look for them. Today, in Acts chapter 8, we're going to look at the story of a guy who has two divine appointments. This, this whole chapter is, is dedicated to the story of a guy named Philip. When we meet him in Acts chapter 6, he's, he's Philip the food server. But after we meet him in Acts chapter 8, theologians refer to him today as Philip the Evangelist. What made the difference? Two divine appointments that we're going to look at. The reason we look at this right now is because we're going into a holiday season. Under pressure kind of fits that, doesn't it? And in the midst of this, I don't want you to miss divine appointments that God wants you to have. So we're going to look today at what we can do when these appointments come our way. How do we handle them? Here's the question we're going to answer today. What to do with a divine appointment? We're going to look at the life of Philip, and as we do, we're going to find out how can we make the most of these moments that God lines up. What do we do with the divine appointment? Let's jump right in. Four things I want to show you from Philip's life. The first one is this. Number one, make the most of every opportunity. When God sends a divine appointment your way, don't miss it. Make the most of every opportunity. 
little background on Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 6, if you remember, there's this pressure. We, we talked about this on a Wednesday night a few weeks ago where some of the widows weren't um, receiving the feeding program that the church was providing in the same way. And so they had to find new leaders to be able to lead this kind of servant ministry. They picked seven people to lead it. One of them was a guy named Stephen. We talked about him last week. Remember that? This week, we're going to talk about a second guy that's on that list of seven. His name is Philip. And these guys were chosen. And Stephen, if you remember, began to preach the gospel the leaders, the political and the religious leaders of the day, were threatened by him. And last week we saw how after he preached this sermon, they drug him out of the city, threw him off this cliff, and they stoned him. They killed him. One of the rising stars in this new church has been murdered, martyred. And you would think that if you're a part of this brand new movement called Christianity, and one of your leaders, one of your favorite people has just been killed, that maybe you'd have second thoughts about this whole thing. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Watch what happens here. On that day, this is the day that Stephen was martyred. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. There's, there's some crazy things in that passage. It says that Stephen died and godly men took him and buried him and that they mourned deeply for him. Now that just makes sense to us. You bury somebody and you mourn for them. But in Jewish custom, if someone who had died disgracefully, and there's really... Not much more of a disgraceful way in Jewish custom than to be stoned for you to die. You, you had been punished for a crime. You weren't to mourn them. And yet they mourned deeply for Stephen because of who he was. And it says that Saul, do you remember Saul from last week? We kind of took a quick glance at him. We're going to see him again here actually in just a couple of weeks up close and personal. Saul began to destroy the church. The word there for destroy is not just like knock it over. The word there for destroy is the same word that you would use of a wild animal ripping apart its prey. So he's coming after the church. And in the midst of this, it says that the church scatters. Everybody but the apostles. The apostles felt a commitment to have to stay there in Jerusalem to lead that new church no matter what would happen. But the people in the church, and this wasn't fear, this was wisdom. They said, we got to get out of here because the people are coming after us. So they scattered it doesn't say that they took time to plan this. It doesn't say that they all waited to you know, use a borrowed pickup truck. What did they do? They scattered. That's a word, right? And they went into Judea and Samaria, and they went to all these other places because they were literally running for their lives because the persecution in Jerusalem meant that they were coming after them, throwing them in prison, doing the same things that happened um, to Stephen, to the people in the church, and you look at this story, and you go, how can this be good? Right? The people are running for their lives, and things seem to be falling apart. And yet, what we'll see is that this passage is probably one of the most significant passages to the gospel moving forward, to going to, if you remember, to the ends of the earth, Jesus promised. And here's why. Because God specializes in using negative things for positive gains. Have you ever found that to be true? 
That God can take what seems to be negative in our lives, what seems to be a loss in our lives, what seems to be the foundation crumbling in our lives, and he can use that for positive gains. I don't always understand it. I just know that God has a way of taking things that look bad and turning them into something beautiful. He took the death of a leader, and you're going to see that he uses it as a catalyst for the growth of the church. There's experiences that I've had in my life that I would not want to repeat, and I also would not trade them for anything. You ever been there? Painful times that you said, I don't want to go through that again, and yet they shape you. They make you who you are. This was the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Here's a really good promise. If you're in one of these negative times, this might be a good promise for you to hold on to. Joseph's brothers tried to kill him. If you don't know the story, go back and read the the, the end part of the book of Genesis, but his brothers tried to kill him, and instead of them killing him, he literally saves their lives years later. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended it for evil. God intended it for good. Know this, negative experiences often lead to positive outcomes. And it's, it's true in our lives, it's true personally, it's true spiritually. So if you're in a negative experience, don't give up. Don't stop because of the pain. Don't, don't quit too soon. Keep moving, because that's what these people did. And watch what they did. It says this. It says that they scattered to Judea and Samaria. These, these were like the, the other regions. It would be like us scattering to ungodly places like, I don't know, Michigan. You know what I mean, right? It would, it would, be, it would be like... You know, you go to these places, I didn't mean, and so, um, it's a big week, and so this is, uh, this is happening, right? So you got this going on, so they're, they're scattering. If I had done something, sorry about that, brother, you'll forgive me, won't you? Like, yeah, I just wounded a man's heart down here. And so you got, um, you, if, I'm, if I'm scattering because I got in trouble for doing something, don't you think I would stop doing that something? Like, if they got in trouble for preaching the gospel, then I'm going to go somewhere, and I'll keep believing. I just kind of want to live quietly, kind of under the radar. You know what they did? They went to these other places where they were scattered to, and they continued to preach the gospel boldly, the very thing that got them in trouble. Why would they do that? We'll come back to that in a moment, but let's look at a case study here. Go to verse 5, Acts chapter 8, verse 5. It says this, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. This guy, Philip, is, is really fascinating to me. Um, Luke will take chapter 7 and focus on Stephen. He will take chapter 8 and focus on Philip. These are guys who started out, and this is the word of scripture, who started out waiting on tables, and yet God turns them into two of the most influential leaders in the book of Acts, responsible for the spread of the gospel outside of Jerusalem and into literally the ends of the earth. How does that happen? From Philip the food server to Philip the evangelist. Look, there's a, there's a principle here that's really important that I don't want you to miss. God calls the servants of today to be the leaders of tomorrow. God calls the servants of today to be the leaders of tomorrow. And if it's, if it's difficult for you to serve, recognize this. That in the role in which you serve, God is preparing you for opportunities where you can lead. Where you're willing to say, I will serve others 
no matter your age or where you're at, when you choose to serve, that gives God the opportunity to work in your life. I feel, I feel at liberty to share this because it's been at least, I got to say at least seven, six, seven years ago since this happened. So, so you're, you're not in the room. So I'm not insulting you when I tell this story. But there were two individuals, right about the time that we uh, announced that we were going to buy this building, move from Glendale over here to Conant Street, right about that same time, there were two individuals who showed up separately from each other on, uh, on two different Sundays and walked up to me after service. This is, these, these are exact quotes. Walked up to me and said, Pastor, I love that service today. You, you are one of the very best communicators I have ever heard in my life. And I said, thank you. That's what I've been telling my wife. And, and they were like, you know, <laughs> you are a great preacher. And this is a wonderful church. And I'd really like to talk to you. And so, you know, we stepped off to the side or set up an appointment or whatever, you know. And so as we began to talk, they started again. You're a wonderful communicator. And this is a great church. And Pastor, I... I just think you should know what I can do for your church. Pastor, I have all these gifts and I have all these skills. And I just know that if you'll let me, you fill in the blank. If you'll let me sing, if you'll let me teach, if you'll let me lead, I'm ready to start next week. Pastor, I'm awesome. I know that I can make a huge difference in your church if you'll just give me the opportunity right now. And I thank God for the wisdom he gave. I I looked at both those guys separately, and I said, um, you know, thank you for your kind words. I really appreciate this, and, uh, you know, God is doing something really cool at Calvary. Here's what I would suggest. I would suggest that for about the next six months, that you just kind of hang out here. You know, you've only been here once or twice. Why don't you get to know us a little bit? Make sure you know what we believe, who we are as a church. Why don't you go through our membership process And then after you've gone through that membership process, then why don't we talk about what God may have in store for you here? Do you know what happened to those two guys? I never saw them again. Neither one of them, gone. You know why? Because they were interested in leading. They weren't interested in serving. And God says, if you want to lead, you have to start with serving. The reason that guys like Stephen and Philip could be used so deeply by God is because they had been entrusted from God with what seemed like small tasks, but it led them to great things. Don't knock this in your life. When God calls you to serve, remember that God calls the servants of today to be the leaders of tomorrow. This is where divine appointments start. Even if it looks like a little thing, don't miss the opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul writes, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Do you know when your next opportunity might be to to have a divine appointment from God? It could be lunch today. It, It could be in your office tomorrow. It could be with your family on Monday. I can almost guarantee you God wants you to have a divine appointment on Thursday. Do you remember what Thursday is this week? I'm pretty sure God wants you to have a divine appointment with some turkey. (laughs) And that turkey may be a family member. (laughs) Look, we're getting into the holidays. And if there is any time when God might want to work through you to impact somebody's life, it could be in these next six weeks or so that God wants to work through you He wants to 
use you in a divine way. And my question is then, why even bother? Look, why don't, why don't we just leave people alone? Look, if you found something that's good for you and your faith in Christ, that's cool. But why don't you do your thing? Let them do their thing. Why is it that as Christians, we feel like it's up to us to tell other people about what we've found in Jesus Christ? There's a couple of reasons, especially if you're here today and you're not familiar with, with Christianity or maybe with a healthy form of Christianity. That there's a couple of things that are good to know. One, the reason followers of Jesus Christ share their faith, the reason that we tell others about Jesus is because Jesus told us to. In fact, his command in Matthew chapter 28, the last things he says to his apostles in the book of Matthew is this, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. In fact, if you go back to Jesus' words in the book of Acts to his disciples, remember he says this so clearly, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's, that's, a, that's a big deal. So Jesus has called us to be people who share what he said. But it, it tells us in verse 5 there that Philip was proclaiming the Messiah. That word Messiah is kind of a loaded word. Because it, it, it's the same word when we, when we talk about Jesus as the Christ. It means the one who saves and the reason we share Jesus with others is because we believe that in this life, no matter who you are or what you've done, forgiveness is available and hope is available, salvation is available, a right relationship with God, the promise of heaven, all those things are available, but they only come through one person. They only come through Jesus Christ. He's the only one who saves, right? And so we put our confidence and our trust in him and, and get this in the context of things. When, when Philip says he's sharing the Messiah, you know that the Jewish people and the Samaritan people were looking for someone to come and save them. So when it says he was proclaiming the Messiah, it means that he was telling them, this is what you've been waiting for. This is what you've been looking for. Your longings, your desires, the things that you were hoping would fulfill you, they are only found in the person and in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now don't miss this. See, when God gives you a divine appointment, he doesn't do it just so you can feel good about yourself. But when you interact with someone, whether you realize it or not, the needs in their life, the things that they're up against, the challenges that they face, the longings that they have, the only thing that will bring them true joy and happiness and peace and forgiveness and life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. So when you have a divine appointment, when you share that with them, you're not telling them a story. You're not giving them a history lesson. You're not sharing a political opinion or just your idea of truth. You are literally giving to them the only thing, whether they realize it or not, that can meet the longings and desires that they have in their life. That gives it a different perspective, doesn't it? And so when Philip shared this with them, this, this, you get it, right? Me and Elmer Fudd say, if, if, when you share that with them, Okay, you are giving them in that moment a divine appointment with the God of the universe. So what do you do in those times? First thing, make the most of every opportunity. Let me take you to the second one. Number two, let God lead you. Number two, let God lead you. 
Remember, these are divine appointments, not scheduled appointments. You don't make them. God does. Your job is to respond when he brings them, to be aware of them and open to them. I think they happen in two different ways. Let me me share them with you. One is this. God may lead you by the situation. God may lead you by the situation that you're in. That's what's happened here to Philip, right? The the disciples, the, the church gets scattered. Philip finds himself in Samaria, and because of that situation, he now has the opportunity to have a divine appointment. It happens wherever you are. It may happen in your school, in your job, in your family, in your neighborhood, in the store, the doctor's office. These places where life lands you, look for the opportunity that God has given you. He may lead you in this moment to speak about him, to show his love. Can I, can I call a quick time out here, though? That in that moment when God gives you the opportunity to have a divine appointment in the situation that you're in, please don't, please don't be obnoxious. Can I get an amen? Okay, we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. I just had to get that off my chest. Second thing. God may lead you by the situation, but God may also lead you by the Spirit, where by His Spirit, He leads you into the opportunity to have a divine appointment. Um, We said at the beginning that we were going to look at two stories. The first story is the story of Philip in Samaria. And if you're familiar with Acts chapter 8, you know that the story gets gets a little bit more complicated after this. And, And so... For, for our purposes today, we're not going to dive anymore into that. I think we'll come back to it at a later date and talk about what happens there. But we're going to jump to the second story now. The first story, Philip has a divine appointment in Samaria, and because he does, many people come to know Christ. The second story is a divine appointment that he has where he's led by the Spirit of God. Watch what happens here. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip is communicated by an angel of the Lord what God wants him to do. Does that sound like being led of the Spirit? <laughs> Absolutely it does. And in this particular instance, we're led to believe that, that Philip actually kind of has communication from an angel. Now, I, I've never had anything like that. You, you may or may not in your life. As we go further in this story, we'll just sense that the Spirit of God is prompting Philip. I've had that happen in my life. I hope you have or that you're open to that. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And then at the end of this story, there's literally a divine teleportation that happens. I've never known anybody to have that happen, but I know God could do it. Understand this. There's ways in which the Spirit leads us. And and this is what I want to encourage you with. Being Spirit-led requires divine discernment. That you have these moments where you're open to say, and I don't know it'll be an audible voice, but you know when the Spirit's leading you in a certain way. You, you get to learn this. You have this divine discernment where you say, God, I believe you're leading me in this direction. and I'm going to obey. I'm going to take these steps, and I'm going to trust you. And he does it by situation, and he does it by his Spirit. Now, I think I've shared these before, but, but both of these were really helpful for me because when, when I was kind of young and first kind of starting out in ministry, I had two situations that were very kind of foundational for me that helped me to understand these ways in which God may lead us. Let me talk to you first about where he leads us by situation. I was a kid's pastor kind of probably in my first year in ministry at a church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I was asked to go do a hospital visit. 
And I can remember it was the end of the day, and I just wanted to get home. So I was going to do this hospital visit, and then I was going to go home. So I just kind of felt this, I just want to get this thing done kind of thing. Now, we talked a couple of weeks ago in our message on the Reformation that we do not believe that there's a biblical doctrine of purgatory. Do you remember that? If purgatory is a real place, I believe it's a parking garage. Can I get an amen? <laughs> like you would just spend as much of eternity as you needed to just driving around. I hate parking garages. Well, I get to this hospital in Milwaukee, and I can't find a parking spot to save my life. And I remember just circling and going all the way up to the top deck and then going all the way back down. I know I spent at least 20 minutes just trying to find a parking space, and I would sin, and then I'd repent, and I would sin, and then I'd repent. Like, you know that process, right? Finally, I find one. I'm ticked off. I'm frustrated. I'm mad at myself. I'm mad at all these sick people. Like, I got all this, you know, and, I'm, and I got to get my pastoral heart right so I can go in and pray for the sick and make them well in the name of the, you know, it's like, so I get to the elevator, push the button to go up and see Elmer. I remember this so clearly. Push the button and see this guy, elderly. Elmer, and, and as I push the button, I stand there and I wait, and the elevator door opens, and when the elevator door opens, out walks his wife, and in that moment, we had a, I don't know, I'd call it a divine appointment, and we stepped off to the side, and she not only told me about his condition, but she told me about her condition, and I was able as a pastor to minister to her and pray with her for her personally in a way standing there in front of an elevator 20 minutes into what I thought should have been a visit. I was able to be her pastor in a way in that moment that I never could have if we were up in his hospital room. Does that make sense? See, I felt I was in purgatory. God was setting up the situation so I'd have a divine appointment. And I've got to learn, and I, and I still struggle with this, Lord. I trust you even in the midst of my disappointments, that in this situation, you're setting me up to do something that you want to do that's more incredible than what I can imagine. Does that make sense? Okay, second story. God leads us by situation. He also leads us by the Spirit. When I was in Bible college, I had an opportunity. Um, they said, hey, we want to start this ministry for kids in this government-funded apartment complex. Would you be willing to do it? And I said, yes. And they said, good luck. No training, no advice, nothing. Just go for it, big guy. That way, if, if it failed, it was just me, not them, right? You know those situations, right? So what do you do when you don't know what to do? I started praying. And I remember one day, I think it was just before lunch, if I remember right. I went in the chapel at Central Bible College, and I just started praying. I was like, God, I don't know what to do here. This was all brand new to me, right? Lord, I don't know what to do here. And as I was thinking about what I should do, I had this sense, and again, this was new to me. This was kind of in my gut that I should just drive over to this apartment complex. Why don't you just go over and check it out? And I was like, God, that's a good idea, except it's almost lunchtime. <laughs> and if I miss lunch in the cafeteria, how can I serve you? Right? You know, that's the thought, right? You know? <laughs> but I had this sense, like, um, you're supposed to drive over there. And I remember I drove over there. It was late, late summer, early fall. And I drove over there, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. I'd never been to this place. And I just started walking around, and there was this lady out there, and she was, like, washing her car. And she gave me this look like, hey, kid, what are you doing here in my early 20s? And she's just kind of looking at me funny. And I just, I just kind of, she gave me that, I wasn't quite sure if it was get out of here or what do you want kind of look. And I just said, hey, can you help me? I said, I'm from Central Bible College. We want to start a ministry here for, for kids. We want to do kind of a kids club. Do you, do you have any insight in what to do? And she looked at me and said, I have been wishing that there was something like this for my son. Let me go and introduce you to the apartment manager. And from that point on, she opened a door that no man could shut. 
I wonder how many times I've missed the voice of God's spirit saying, Chad, why don't you just go do this? Because I was too hungry. Does that make sense? Look, there's something powerful about being led by the spirit. And, and so the, the spirit says to Philip, look, I want you to do something. I want you to go down to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now put this in context for a minute. Do you know what's happening in Samaria? In Samaria, Philip's pastoring a church that is booming. People are getting saved. They're getting filled with the Holy Spirit. They're getting baptized. This is exciting. There's literally a revival that's going on in Samaria. And an angel shows up and says, Philip, I want you to leave the revival in Samaria and go to the desert. Does that make sense? If you're Philip, you're like, God, I, I really don't like the desert. I like revival. I think I'll stay here and you can find some other servant who will go to the desert because this place that he called him to the the road to old gaza was deserted old gaza itself was probably just a pile of ruins at this time in the roman empire there probably weren't a whole lot of people on this road to preach to and philip was a preacher and he says god i don't know if this makes sense get this in your head real quick god's divine plan might not make human sense Sometimes he calls us to do things, to take steps of faith where it doesn't always make sense to us. God's divine plan might not make human sense. And the sooner I can wrap my brain around that, the sooner I'm ready for a divine appointment. And and so God says, look, make the most of every opportunity. And then I want you to be led by the spirit, be led by God. And here's the third thing that happens. When you have a divine appointment, watch this. Love people like God loves people. God wants you to love people like God loves people. Okay, so real quick, I want to walk you through these next few verses, what happens in the story. Let's make some observations as we move through this. Watch this, verse 27. So Philip started out, and on his way, right, desert road, middle of nowhere, on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandike, which means queen of the Ethiopians, This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Real quick unpacking here. Ethiopian. It means he's from the land south of Egypt. That's in Africa. Not just the area that we now know as Ethiopia, but this would have spread like over into Sudan. It was a huge kingdom. And he would have been a pretty high-ranked official. He was a eunuch, which most likely means he's been disfigured as a part of his court responsibilities. And it would have meant that in Judaism, he was considered unpure. He was an official in the treasury, which meant he was a high-ranking official. If you dig into the details of this story, he had a lot of wealth. And he worked for, it says, some Bible translations might have the word Candace. Do you see that there, anybody? See that in your Bible? It says Candace. That we take it as a name. It was actually a title. If you change that, that, that last C from a, a soft sound to a hard sound, it's this word that was Candace, which meant the queen of Ethiopia. That was her title. And so this very wealthy, high-ranking official takes an incredible journey for him to go from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. If he covered 25 miles a day in his caravan, like, like he might have done, it would have taken him 48 to 60 days to get there. So this dude invested two months one way, four months round trip, not counting the time he spent in Jerusalem. Was he committed to this trip? You better believe it. This was a long deal. He was earnestly seeking God in some way. And know this, this is kind of fun. Ethiopia in those times to the Mediterranean world, 
Ethiopia would have been considered, wait for it, the end of the earth. Have you heard that anywhere else? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You see what's happening here? You see how God's piecing things together? The term Ethiopia in that time had come to mean the land of the burnt-faced people, referring to the, the skin color. So get this. You've got Philip, who's a guy from Jerusalem, who ends up in Samaria, who's now in the desert, who finds himself, and Philip's running for his life, right? Who finds himself with a guy who's wealthy, in leadership, different color, different status, completely unique from him, and he sees this guy. I'm not going to lie. Many times when I see people who are totally different from me, my initial response is to say they're different from me, so I steer clear of them. Anybody else? Like I think our initial response is when we see someone different from us, we immediately look at the differences instead of looking at similarities. And this story reminds us that there's more to a book than its cover. You know how we say don't judge a book by its cover? Well, Philip could have just ignored this guy and said, eh, he's not like me. But that's not what the Spirit of God says because God's love is, is a little more reckless than that. Acts chapter 8, verse 28, on his way home, this Ethiopian was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet, and the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. It's cool because he, he tells Philip, Philip, you've got to get close to this guy. You can't stay away. You've got to get close. Watch this about love. Love gets close enough to care. If you want to have a divine appointment with somebody, you really can't have it from a distance. Influence requires presence. Ministry takes proximity. We, we've got to get close enough to care for people. Verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. This is really important because Philip gets up to the chariot, hears him reading Isaiah the prophet, and then says to him, Luke, do you get what you're reading? What Philip doesn't do is stand on the side of the road with a sound system or a megaphone and say, turn or burn. Like that's not his sermon, right? There's people who do that. I'm sure their hearts are right. But in, instead of starting with some kind of message that he couldn't understand, Philip goes right up to this guy and starts where he is. Look, love starts where people are. It finds a way to connect, not based on where you are, but where people are. Not trying to make others perfect first and then tell them about Jesus, but telling them about Jesus and letting Jesus do his work. That's why you have a conversation. You, you find a thing in common. You get to know the person. You meet the human need. That's why we love the 419. Because if we can help people to know that we care where they are, then we can share with them the love of Jesus. I don't know anybody who does divine appointments better than Greg and April Mahaney. Greg's sitting right down here. And if you don't know the Mahaneys, they lead a ministry called Chi Alpha on the University of Toledo. If you're not familiar with it, you should be for two reasons. One, because they're, they're making a difference for the kingdom. And two, Chi Alpha is the reason why there's so many seats full on Sunday morning right down here. And I don't know how many times, Greg, I've, I've caught you on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night and said, man, how's your week? And you said, I had a divine appointment. Because God works when we position ourselves in places where he can speak through us and he can work through us. And there's story after story of how God does that. 
Back to Acts chapter 8, verse 31. The Ethiopian said, how can I understand this unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. Anybody ever read anything out of the Old Testament? Anybody? There's a lot there, right? This guy's got the whole Old Testament. Watch what he's reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Are you kidding me? Of all the passages in the Old Testament, this Ethiopian dude is reading this one. Do you know who that passage is about? That passage is about Jesus. And it's not just about Jesus. It's about Jesus dying for the sins of others. It's about him as the sacrificial servant. See, God was already working in this guy's heart. Philip just happened to show up in the right place at the right time. Look, when it comes to a divine appointment, let the Holy Spirit do his work. Trust God that God's going to work in the heart of that person. And believe that as God uses you, God's going to use you in the right time and in the right way. And if somebody's heart doesn't change, if they don't have a breakthrough, that's not on you. That's on the Holy Spirit to do his work. And please do this. Like, like a lot of times we might think, boy, I could share my faith. Or I could talk to this person about Jesus. Or I could ask them if I could pray with them. And then we, we talk ourselves out of it. And we even say, I don't think they'd be interested. Look, don't say someone's no for them. Does that make sense? Don't say no on their behalf. Let them say no. You say yes. You let God work in your life because people may be more ready than you realize. This guy was. And in those moments, what's your job? Number four, last thing, real quick. Give good news. Your job is to give good news. Acts chapter 8, verse 35. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus Christ. Our, our call as, as followers of Jesus Christ is to share the gospel. And you might go, well, man, Chad, I'm not a theologian. I'm not a pastor. I don't like talking in front of people. When I have a divine appointment with someone, what, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? I'm not, I'm not trained. I'm not an evangelist. I don't have the gift. I don't have the, the classes. What do I do? Look, it's real simple. Let me give you four quick sound bites. If you want to share the gospel with someone, here's where it starts. Number one, it's this. We all need a Savior. Look, we all need a Savior. Because at some point, people recognize their lack, their need for God. We all need a Savior. Here's the second thing. Jesus came to be the Savior. He's the only one who can save us. He died for us. He gave his life for us. Jesus came to be the Savior. And then here's the part where you're an expert. Here's the part where you can have great confidence. Look, we all need a Savior. Number two, Jesus came to be the Savior. And here's what you say. Number three, Jesus is my Savior. And then you tell people your story. And you're an expert at that, right? Tell them what Jesus has done for you. Tell them how Jesus has changed your life. Tell them the difference that his forgiveness and his peace, and his mercy, and his grace, and his love is made in your life. If you need a savior, and he came to be that savior, tell them how he's been your savior, and then say Jesus can be your savior too. And offer them that. Look, it's, it's really pretty simple. That if we recognize our need for him and what he did, when you tell someone your story, then you just give them a chance to make it their story too. Sharing the good news is the believer's responsibility. 
for every one of us. God's called us to this, that sharing the good news is the believer's responsibility. It's not your responsibility, though, to save people, right? Every so often, I'll have somebody go, man, I, I witnessed to my friend, and I saved him. It's like, you, no, uh-uh, no. You didn't. You helped him get there. But Jesus died on the cross. That's, that's what saved him. The Holy Spirit worked in their life. It was, it was by grace through faith. That's what happened. Nice work, good pat on the back, but you didn't do it. God did it. So all your job is is to, to share your faith, to help others to see Jesus, lift him up. He's the one that does the work. And they have to choose whether they receive it or not. Watch what happens in this case. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot, and then Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. There's this principle in Scripture that after someone has made a commitment to Christ, the next step of obedience is to be baptized in water. This is a cool day. I love the way God lines these, these Scriptures up. That we talk about divine appointments going into the holidays. That we talk about baptism on a Sunday when we're doing baptisms. And in this service, we've got 18 people being baptized after this service. That's awesome, isn't it? I mean, that's fantastic. We've, we've been doing baptisms out in the atrium lately. But our atrium has gotten kind of nuts with the Christmas stuff and with the kids' the hallway being backed up with renovations and with you out there fellowshipping and all that stuff, you know, and it's, which is awesome. It's great. We love it. So baptisms are going to be an auditorium too today. So maybe you know somebody that's being baptized and you want to shoot in there as soon as service is done. The other thing we're going to do is it's going to be on the screens in here as soon as service is done. So as soon as I can quit talking, we're going to go to baptisms. And I'd encourage you, if you don't have to hustle out of here, sit down, take a minute, celebrate with folks. Even the stories in first service were just awesome. And we want to celebrate what God's doing in these baptisms. Last point, verse 39. When they came up out of the water... The spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Did you see that? When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. That's a Star Trek thing, right? I just see him with the, right? Where'd he go? Which is, like, super cool. Like, I, I, I want to see that. That's not the big miracle in that verse. You know what the big miracle in that verse is? That the Ethiopian went away rejoicing because only lasts for a minute. Joy stays forever, right? When God changes your heart, the good news brings great joy. So, so here's why I want to bring this to a close today. Look, if you need the good news, understand this. God will go to great lengths. That's why that song sings about reckless love. Is God reckless? No, he's not reckless. But he'll do things that might seem reckless to us to get his love to you. And some of you may need his love today. As I've talked about a savior, as I've talked about forgiveness, as I've talked about his love, you've said to yourself, I've tried a bunch of other stuff, and that's what I need. And today's the day that you can know his love. In fact, I want to do this just real quick. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Whether you're in this room or auditorium two, or if you're watching on a screen somewhere, here's, here's the thing. If you'd say today, Chad, what I need in my life is to begin or begin again a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Today has been a divine appointment for me. 
and I need to make Jesus my Lord and my Savior, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? You can raise your hand and put it right back down, whether you're in this room or you're somewhere else, and you just say, today, I need him as my Savior and my Lord. I need to begin or begin again a relationship with Jesus Christ. Is there anybody else? Just raise your hand and put it right back down. And if you raised your hand, or maybe if you know you should have, or if you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your Son to die for my sin. I ask today that you would forgive my sin, change my life. I give myself to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Look, if you, if you prayed that prayer today, stop by our Connection Center. Some friends that are there, they have a gift that they want to give to you. They want to pray with you and talk with you more about what this decision means. But let me leave you with just one other thought, because I think this is really important. I was in, just this last week, when we're getting ready for this message, right? I was in, let's, let's call it like a customer service kind of context. And this person who was giving me customer service was not giving very good service to this customer. And I just, I don't know why it's a pet peeve that I need to ask the Lord to help me with, but in those moments, I just get, I get like frustrated. And I'm like, you should be nicer. You should be better. You should treat me. You should have more. You should, like I had all these thoughts going on in my mind, and this customer was not being maybe a very good customer in that moment. I didn't do anything I have to repent for, I'm sorry for, but I could just feel my attitude. I could feel my frustration that was coming up. And I was just like, I don't like her. Like I had that going on in my head, right? She's not very good at her job. I don't know if she can keep this job. I don't like her. Like, that's going on in my head, you know? And all of a sudden, I felt, I felt the Spirit of God just kind of tweak me in the ear, right? And kind of go, you don't know what's going on in her world. You don't know who she is. You don't know her story, Hotshot. And this, literally, I, I felt these words from God come into my spirit. Chad, can you help me out here? I know you feel like you should be getting better customer service right now, but what I really need from you is for you to be me to her. I, I need you to show my love to her. Right now, big guy, it's not about you, it's about me. And I need her to see in you my love. When I walked away from that experience, I realized that experience was not about me leading that lady to Christ. That experience was about me being humbled enough to realize that it's not about me. That, that I've been called as a follower of Jesus Christ from a God who gave his love recklessly to save me, to be open to divine appointments where he can work through me so that others can know him. Does that make sense? And I need to get past myself and see that he's called me to be a channel by which his love can be flowed through. And so here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Would you just stand with me in this moment? Pastor John's just going to lead us in that simple course. And look, if you're, if you're open to saying, God, I'm, I'm up for a divine appointment. Lord, I want your reckless love to move through me. Would you just lift your hands as we sing this? And Lord, would you just say, let me be a channel of your love. Lord, send me a divine appointment where you can live through me. Thank you.
Father, thanks for your love. May we be willing to get past ourselves so that you can work through us. Lord, we look forward to stories of divine appointments from you. In Jesus' name.